Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to Bench Units. This is Mark, and the word Swiss Army Knife gets thrown around in relation to basketball players a lot. I've never been a big fan of its usage, but I was having a think about it, and I think I'm lucky to be accompanied by one of the true Swiss Army Knives in the game of wheelchair basketball, which is to say it looks good because there's loads of stuff in one package, and then you look at each of the services slash functions in isolation and realize that it's not that much use. James McSorley, how's it going, man? Not too bad, thank you. Happy to be here. And yeah, what came to mind when you said that was you'd much rather have an actual pair of scissors or an actual <laughs> nail file or an actual knife. And when was the last time you needed one? Well, this is what uh, I was they'll, they'll do in a pinch if all the other two pointers, I mean utensils, are taken. <laughs> um... <laughs> That's what I was thinking about, though. It's like the reason that I don't have that I don't carry a bottle opener and a nail file and a small pair of scissors on me isn't because I can't decide which of the four to allocate to my various pockets. <laughs> it's like, yeah, the, they just it's a collection of things that the only appeal of them is that they are on the same device and therefore it doesn't feel like a waste to take, a, take that space up. But anyway... I don't know why I was so unnecessarily cruel in the intro. I just thought of it and wanted to try and work it into the episode. Best thing about this is you thought of this like five days ago and were like, hey, I'm introing the next podcast. I've got a good one. (laughs) But yeah, talking about absolutely taking up space, I have a random non-basketball question for you. Let's do it. Have you ever gone into a shop, bought something, and then just forgotten to take it home? Because I did that today. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't think so. My classic move is I go into a shop, buy something, and then we'll like stop at a cafe while I'm out and leave the thing I bought there. I've done that so many times, it's no longer funny. That's kind of basically what happened. So I went to the Nespresso shop today to get pods, and generally sometimes when they're in there, they're like, hey, do you want a coffee while you're here? Uh, I like... I think it's because they want to like draw you in, but I very much knew what I wanted already. So I was like, hello, can I have these six sleeves of coffee pods? And they were like, oh, do you want a coffee while you're here? And I was like, yeah, no worries. So I bought them. They gave me the stuff in a bag. And I think I've just set them down, taken the coffee, <laughs> drank it, and then left. So how much did that one sample coffee cost you, considering you didn't get your six sleeves of pods? Um, well, Anna's away into town to work, so she's going to call back and see if they're there. So it was either free or cost me 28 euros and 70-something <laughs> cents. So... I've bought a lot of expensive and stupid coffee before, but I think this probably takes it. But yeah, it's just been on my mind since I did it. I've just been like, what an idiot. Like, yeah. uh, I'm, glad, I'm glad to hear you're gearing up for my arrival. So I like to think we'll get through those sleeves. That's the plan. Yeah. Um, no, it's just because I stopped somewhere the other day that had Nespresso pods rather than just random Nespresso machine pod X from yeah. supermarket. And I was like, oh no, these are so much better. Like Nespresso shaped pods. <laughs> is yes. what the other ones are. But anyway, talking about uh talking talking about people that like coffee, should we talk about the Italian league first? Nailed it. Let's uh, do it. <laughs> right. So the Italian um cup, I believe. Is it is it the cup? No, it's not the cup. I'm being this stupid. It's the Italian league. League semifinals, isn't it? Um, League semifinals are on. um, And first game is Cantu beating Sassari uh, to go through 59-47. So these are best of three, according to correction section, Mendel. Um, (laughs) 
or best of two correction section Mendel uh, <laughs> me, correcting, <laughs> me correcting him back and being like when's the third game Mendel <laughs> yeah we should be ready for that any day now I, um, I wouldn't ever trash talk a team if it wasn't just a good friend of ours who will actually lead our podcast yeah um... <laughs> god I'm t- I feel bad now but yeah so Cantu took care of business slash got it done against a Sassari team that didn't put up much resistance. <laughs> yeah, that we laugh about our habit of inspecting the losing team more than the winning team, but this was for me this one was really a odd showing by Sassari combined with a good Simone the Magic shooting game who had he had nineteen on twelve shots. Um God. <laughs> and yeah, it's just it's bizarre. We've obviously not watched a whole lot of the Italian league going on, but Sassari have been kind of handling the weaker teams relatively comfortably as they did in the round pre this one where they took down Firenze pretty convincingly. Um, but yeah, this, I mean, I kind of touched on it last week when I said I think it was like an institutional knowledge win from Cantu in week one where it was just the bunch of guys who... They have a very stripped back roster this year compared to previous years, but they're left with a bunch of guys who know their roles and fit well. Yeah. Sastry is kind of the opposite, where it's a lot more guys than they've had previously and are all feel kind of heaped on top of each other. Um, and yeah, Cantu just kind of continued to press their shooting and execution advantages while Sastry really struggled to get anyone making shots. I think the first Sassari basket of the game was like a Badoon post up and then his classic pass right out of his shot pocket to an open Esteche who nailed it from the baseline. And I was like, oh, okay, this is like nice and simple and way less convoluted than it looked last week. And it was kind of downhill from there, really. Um, yeah, I think he took it out. Like here, Esteche went back to that spot, but off the dribble. And I think, um, I don't know. The fact that Sassari have been able to take care of the lower down teams but struggle here against a team that's kind of been together for a long time and have a very established way of playing, even though they've got different... Like, they've brought different guys in this year, but it's still very much the Cantu way of playing offense, yeah. um, even with a different coach. But I suppose it's the institutional thing of, like, these guys... The guys that are playing have still been there for years. Yeah. Um, whereas Sassari, when it gets to that point, it kind of still does look a bit like disjointed like I don't know they've only been together for this year but it's the end of the season at this point Um, but it does look a bit sort of my turn your turn a lot yeah a little bit and I think I wonder if that's a case of like a lot of the guys you're playing like three guys who've been primary ball handlers on varying levels of successful or unsuccessful teams at the same time at any given point and I kind of joked with you and someone else at one point that maybe like the game plan is can you get Burdoon to shoot the ball better? But yeah, <laughs> like, and that, but that was a joke because that's not really like you can't really depend on that. But just on, yeah. yeah. I, I thought this was, this looked as the game went on, this looked increasingly like Cantu realizing who they were and also Sassari realizing by proxy who they weren't and it kind of looked like the the longer Cantu were able to just carry on playing their style the more dispirited Sassari seemed I thought yeah. Um, but yeah this was just 
I think the other series, or we'll get onto it in a second, the other series is like more competitive in terms of um in terms of how close the two teams are. I actually think either of those is a better matchup for Sassari than it was against Cantu. Sure. I don't, I don't think either of the other teams is methodical enough to pick them apart. But no. that's obviously kind of where we've ended up. So Cantu bizarrely are kind of the the underdog story going into the um the Italian League finals, which I can't remember the last time that happened, but this is it's actually like a little bit of a Cinderella run at this point where it's like the team that's lost four of their guys from last year and is just rolling out kind of a bare bones operation and are somehow back to the finals. Like it's no different, but yeah. And obviously like big season for them. I think they lost their president last year, unfortunately. And I think it's, you can see there's a bit of, well, there's just like, it means a lot to them to get there because just basketball players, but it's cool to see. Um, but yeah, as you say, a big one from Dimaggi, nineteen on seven from twelve, which is nuts. Um, Impressed by their um, their two young guys, their midpointers as well, Buxa and Basoli are both. They played a little bit last year and both looked pretty out of their depth in the big games. Mm-hmm. I think you can kind of see the amount of minutes they've played has really benefited them in games like this. I think they both contributed pretty well for sure. Um, cool. Other side of the ball, Spanu with 12, Robin Pogonovich with 11, and no one else in double figures. Yeah. 33% as a team. Yeah. Yeah. But doing four points as well. I do wonder how much of it is Cantu just having him figured out because he's obviously been around those other guys for so long. But yeah. Yeah. Just he's not been, he's not to the point about the weaker teams. He's not needed to be that consistent all season. So no. I think. This is just, you know, he's had a couple of bad shooting games at a bad time, but he's also, you, I don't think anyone was like, hey, he's coming into this series, a man on fire. He's just been kind of cruising up to this point. And Cantu, despite their losses, aren't a team you can cruise against. No, you're right. Okay, should we shift on? Yeah, let's move on. So this one was Gillian over 63, Santo Stefano 59, which I would not have expected, especially after... The first one. Yeah. Um, small quirk of this series so far. The winning team has had 63 points on both occasions. And... 63 for the final game. That's, that's <laughs> that'd, be a great, that'd be a great way to decide it. Um, I wonder how how would you set the number in a game like that? If you're like, all right, so this final is the first team to get to 70. Like, how would you set that? I have no idea. Highest, uh, point, highest points total in the first two games. Or say it was sixty three fifty nine. You could go like, okay, so that is one hundred and twenty two points. There are one hundred and twenty two <laughs> points to be scored, and whatever way they're given out, yeah. Like if if you like if you score the one hundred and twenty second point, you win. So you just let the other team score. <laughs> or if you go over and you hit one hundred and twenty three, you go bust, and the other team wins. That's but... hilarious. I love it. You get to 121 by accident and you're just trying to draw files to go to the line. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like the reverse of every late game situation and that you're like desperately running around while people try to like duck out of your way so they're not fouling you by accident. Oh um, man, this is great. Um, this is prime content right here. Um, I to think be fair, I'm actually really into that like weirdest way to like end a game that isn't just 40 minutes. Yeah, I think our own, it's like our own version of the Elam ending. We should pitch it to some teams and see if or some leagues, 
I reckon this is something Jack Gibbs would do in in like his three on three tournaments or whatever. We should hit him up. Um, <laughs> but the main story of this game from the Jillian Overside is we were treated to an uncorked vintage bottle of Matteo Cavanini circa. I don't know. Uh, there's so many years he's been playing. I feel like this this like vintage Cavanini figure could be anywhere from like 1998 to 2009. Yeah, I was but, gonna say pick 2000 and anything. Yeah, <laughs> figures like. Um, but yeah, he had 25 um, and he had 12 rebounds, well, and you could kind of tell early doors, especially San Stefano made a relatively early sub where they took Enrico Gione off. And mm-hmm. played with uh, Dimitri and Tommy Gray, who neither of those guys are small guys, but Cavanini seemed to come alive at that point. He was like, Yeah, there's four bigish guys, but I'm by a long way able to shoot over the top of anybody here. And yeah. that's what he did. And 25 points from him, 21 from Shea Barbabe. Kind of mitigated the fact we only got four from Amit Vigoda, who played 40 minutes. And that if you'd have told me that without telling me the result of this game, that would have seemed an alarming stat um, in Julian Nova's case to extend the series. But yeah, not as good offensively from San Stefano this time when Michelli was firing on all cylinders and they looked much more congested than they did in the previous game. But I think part of this stuff is like the, the side effects of playing the same team twice on back-to-back weekends. It's like Michelli has 25, which is not, you know, his typical ballpark. Gillianova probably felt pretty comfortable coming away, making the adjustments to take some of that away. And yeah. he only has six in this game. So that certainly levels the playing field. But we get a, a winner-take-all game three in this series, which uh, won't be happening next weekend because it's obviously Champions Cup. But... Uh, or Euro Cup kind of rounds all over Europe, I guess. But yeah, yeah, man, I thought this was an impressive comeback from Julian Ovix when they lost the first game by 15. I kind of acknowledged that San Stefano were just the better team here. Which Yeah, is- that's what I was going to say. When that happened, I kind of watched it and thought that's how it was meant to go. Yeah. So, yeah, fair play for fair play to Julian Ovix for pulling one back. But I can I could see the other I could see the third and final game going back to what we thought was going to happen, but you never know. Um winning a game like this obviously proves that you've got that in the bag somewhere, so it should be interesting. Looking forward to it. Especially if Cavanini's gonna roll back the years again. Oh yeah, he goes another ten years back. Um <laughs> right. We'll jump to Spain next because we are probably to nobody's surprise on who's listened to this, we're gonna finish with talking about Germany because there is one game that demands the majority of our attention, so we're going to rattle through most of the Spanish and German games. So let's hit this one. Amphi Vigo, 66. Uca Mercia, 82. Fraudulent 31-0 quarter, as the stat sheet reported. I went back and watched it today, and that was in fact not the case. They just no. messed the first quarter stats up and then obviously used the second quarter to correct the score by halftime. That's I was, what I was wondering because I, I like you look at it said twenty two thirteen was the first quarter score and I was like I don't think that's the like yeah. was that the case? Well, that that wasn't the case, but it was. I was looking at it. I was like, hang on, man. According to this stat sheet, Mercia have won the second quarter by thirty one points and have lost the other three quarters in this. Like that just didn't seem right. But yeah, Mercia were up after the first, and then. 
they did win the second quarter, but it was nothing like... It was not 31-0. Although it's funny because we did actually get a 32-0 quarter over in Germany, which actually did happen. I watched that today to verify. If the um, only reason we're here is to verify that things actually happened. <laughs> I, I wonder, do people do... Uh, no, obviously not. We're not that important. But it kind of feels like this stuff's put in to make sure we actually watch the games. <laughs> <laughs> which is just... Yeah. This none of this is for us. We just yeah. do it. That that would be hilarious. I really hope that isn't the case, though, because otherwise, whoever's doing the stats here is absolutely stealing a living. Which is, um, it's also hilarious to think that whoever happened beyond the floor when they corrected this, their plus minus just got absolutely decimated <laughs> for no reason. Well, that that's what I wonder, man. Because even with Mercia winning that quarter allegedly by thirty-one, they had three players off their bench who's plus minuses were like deep into double figures minus wise i was like how in the hell has this happened like have they got one good lineup that works against vigo of all teams and also you look uh augustino lejos plays 39 minutes and six seconds in front um julio Villas played 40 minutes and it's a minus 28 to a minus 16 <laughs> it was like were they that much worse in the 54 <laughs> seconds he was off the floor in the Alejos minutes yeah maybe this is where Vigo have been going wrong the entire time that additional minute gets them outscored by 12 um, uh, I, yeah, I, I didn't so think pin- that's what's happening but yeah how the game actually went um, Mercia one of the better pressing teams in Europe in general I would say at this point against a team that kind of would struggle against a good press every so often because of how they want to play. Even though there were times where Vigo are semi-well-equipped to get down the floor and have very little time to run an offense because they can just go, all right, throw it to Alejos, who can post up from anywhere, and you'll get like some semblance of a decent look yeah. most of the time. I did, like It's still not, it's not good looks, but it's... Like there's a lot of just throw it in there, even if you get down the floor super late, and you'll get something out of there because that's where they generate a lot of their offense anyway. Even yeah. in half court, just throw it there and watch yeah, everything so, move around. Well, pinch of salt with these stats, but I think the press obviously had its intended effect because um, Mercier actually made one more field goal attempt than Vigo attempted in total. Mm-hmm. So. Vigo with 38 shots in a 40-minute game is obviously... And that the eye test kind of did back that up. The press was pretty damaging to them. Um, also worth mentioning that Basti Kolb was missing, and with Vigo being as relatively thin as they are, you know, missing one midpoint that can really screw with their lineup. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think they're five mids-ish. Like, I mean, they're four mids one big lineup is yeah. as easily but I still think Mercia get it done obviously yeah. but would yeah. be interesting. On, Come on back to Basti. On the Mercia side, twenty seven from Lee Fryer, twenty one from Alo Prieto, sixteen from Joaquin Robles. And we'll not delve too much into the stats on this one because especially the bizarrely the home team seems to have come off worse statistically. Um but 18 for Alejos, 26 for Jason Bettencourt, and 13 for Julio Vilas. Not a whole lot from anybody else. We'll shift on because I don't think there's much more value in analyzing what seems to be an unreliable statistical profile. Sure. Um, okay, next one. Uh, Malaga, 67. Last row. I mean, Leganes, 47. <laughs> um, 
This was a big one for Malaga. Um, big one for both teams, obviously. Um, big win for Malaga. And it was just interesting defensively. Obviously, still no Cano in uh, Legane- for Leganes. So that takes away some of their perimeter stuff and takes away some of their scoring punch. But watching the first quarter and a bit, Malaga were just like, okay, we're going to pack the paint, sit inside. They can go pretty big from top to bottom. Obviously, yeah. they start um, uh, Michel Navarro, Kalmars, uh, Colorina, um, Leo Peque, and Jaime Esparza. So they can go pretty big top to bottom. And their yeah. smallest guy has the longest chair in the world and is actually the fastest man in the world in his classification yeah. in athletics. So pretty good defensive lineup. And they're able to sort of get pressure on shooters while not jumping. And they were kind of happy to let the Leganese guys bomb away from outside um, with a bit of pressure. And it did not look great for Leganese. There was a a lot of missing from the perimeter. Yeah, this one was, I mean, it was 20 to 10 for Malaga after the first quarter, which Leganese never really recovered from, but... Malaga missing, obviously, we've talked about they're missing their two mids and kind of changed their identity. Uh, Abdi was back for this game, but only played 10 minutes and didn't really have much of an impact. Um, but the Kyle, Jaime Esparza and Christoph Cozzarina three-man unit dropped 55 points on, if my maths is right, roughly 62% shooting. Um, it might be right. And if you're Leganes, who are still missing Cano for whatever reasons it may be. Um, he's maybe a, a bigger single piece than either Pete Cusack or Lewis Edwards is for Malaga. And I think you could kind of tell in this game where he, it feels like had he been able to get the ball in his hands against that defense, Leganes wouldn't have been reduced to playing quite a stationary and just shooting over the top like they were. But, yeah, and if he makes a couple, if any of those guys made three in a row at any point. It might have changed what you have to do, but then Malaga went up 10, second, second quarter, they went Abdi in for Kyle, <laughs> and then they went Christian Barbe in for Abdi at one point. It was like, oh, okay, like, you guys are rotating. Fine. <laughs> we get yeah. it. It's cool. Yeah, but shout out to Kozarini, man, because he's, I think Kyle and Hamas Bars have been kind of carrying the weight, you know, with this new lineup. Um, Cosarinha kind of joined the party a little bit on this one, and it was really what they needed here. And yeah, man, I just Leganes, especially minus Cano, just are not equipped to match offense if they're giving up 55 points to the opposing team's three offensive focal points. Um, and that's just kind of what this felt like. It felt like once they were behind, there wasn't an obvious roadmap to catching up. Yeah, cool. Should we move on? Yeah, uh, I mean, I was heady, 78, Joventut, 37. Not going to talk about this one a lot because there's no point. Uh, Ale with 23, Fifi with 28. No Lee Manning for Albacete, we should point out. Yeah, uh, no, no Lee. Um, 10 for Harry off the bench. That must be his probably highest scoring output of the season. But um, He's had a couple. He's had a, I, th- I thought he had a couple of teens. I don't know. I, um, I, I lose track with Albacete, man. they got so many guys. <laughs> yeah, Harry with 10, Ben with 6, Phil with 9, Fran Lara um, with 2. Sure. Yeah, yeah done. Um, 
Juventus actually might be a season high three guys in double figures, which was Fabian Castillo with 12, then Alvin Bernal with 10, and who we got here? Jose Alvaro with twelve with eleven, sorry. The problem is that's thirty-three of the thirty-seven points the team scored as a whole. So Yes, and thirty-seven is less than Amiab scored. It is. Should we move on? <laughs> yes. Uh Bilbao Bilayak Bilbao seventy seven. Madiba fifty eight. Pay your players. Um <laughs> it might be. I don't know. Um so yeah, we came out pretty good start. Twenty six fourteen, kind of ran him off the floor. Same again, second half, a little bit lower scoring. We came out third quarter just absolutely sleepwalking and they took it to us for a little bit. Um, Went back to our yeah, starters. You'd, you'd built yourself enough of a cushion in the first half, though it wasn't. I mean, it was 41-22 at halftime. You could afford the to give up a little bit of a run. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But it was like if they just happened to go on a run, that's okay. But I think we were disappointed because we were just like half chilling yeah. um which is like expected to to a certain extent everyone takes their foot off the gas a little bit but they came back into it because they are they're undermanned but they have good enough players that they'll make you pay if you chill out and that's what they were doing like they won the third quarter against us we went back to our starters and pulled it back away again just put a bit more pace into it and they couldn't really handle it um kind of kept them kept all of their players to pretty inefficient 35 percent as a team um, yeah especially that they're two bigs you really limited man those guys shooting 10 of 37 combined and jose leap obviously putting up 27 to carry the bulk of the load and he did that one pretty efficient well very efficient shooting 58 percent. but you know it's a good thing he showed because he's had a bunch of like single figure games where he's happy to just assist the bigs or you know he's just scraped 10-ish points and yeah if, if he hadn't had one of his better offensive games this one could have been real ugly do you want to do you want to mention Asier's triple double before before we move on uh now I wanted to make a joke about you saying 10-ish points and trying to link it to a Scottish tennis player like Andy Murray or <laughs> someone um but no that's all I wanted to do um yeah other side of the ball Four of our starters had double figures. I had eight. Uh, Gemma had nine off the bench. Lucas Glosner um, had two. And yeah, long way to go. It's a it's it's not a nice journey. Show up, get the job done, come home, and that's what we did. Asier's line: seventeen points, twenty rebounds, eighteen assists. <laughs> it's just good God. Um, Madiba kind of depending on how they're firing they're either the best or worst team for him to play against because if they can use their chaos well against you guys it's not Asier's ideal game but if they're flying around disorganized he's just built to pick them apart and yeah 18 assists is him just coming down the floor being like yeah I'm going exactly the right speed to be able to like get where I want but also see everything like it's like I have no idea what that speed is for me or for anyone else, but like he's like, yeah, this is fine. Like I'll be able to. Like if no one stops my chair, I'll have a layup. But if someone does, I also know where I'm going. Yes. Wow, it must be great to be smart and skilled. And, <laughs> um, I just fly like the police. We got our name of the episode anyway. What smart and skilled? It, it must be great to be smart and skilled. Uh, yes. Um, Cool. Next one, Illusion 77, Gran Canaria 54. 
Yeah. So um, Illunion have kind of, I think they've made it their pattern this season that they let teams hang around for a quarter or so. And then usually second or third quarter, they blow teams out. They kind of had a bit of a departure from that. They didn't win any one quarter by any more than seven points, but they just chipped and chipped and strength in numbers their way through Gran Canaria. Um, Tom and Ilthorne with 23. That's his highest scoring game by a fair way all year. Um, and it seems to... I don't know what it is about these quick guys, but when the like quickest mobile get quickest and most mobile guys in the Spanish league come up against Alexi Ramone, they seem to just be like, right, let's see what this is all about. It's happened with Lee Fryer and now with Tom. Um, I think Tom loves that. Like, I think like we've seen a couple of matchups that Tom's been like, all right, let's go, which is great. Um, and this was one of them. I think it's the, I was going to say the opposite. I think Tom comes up against guys like this and he's like, all right, let's see what the deal is here. Nah, yeah. bet yeah, I can handle this. And he could. Yeah. Um, yeah. Very efficient as well. 11 from 14. Um, Bill with eight from 15. Greg seven from 12. Um, Hassel a little less, so one from six, but didn't matter. He was plus 19 in however many minutes. Like, he's good. Um, yeah, decent bench contribution from Illuminio as well. Again, they got 16 from their five bench players they took to Gran Canaria, but that's, you know, Gran Canaria's bench as a whole got four points. And they were carried by Salazar with 20 and. Alexi with 17, which that came on, what, 39 shots. So not like hugely inefficient from those guys, but they're then getting a couple of single figure chip-ins from everybody else. And Illuniana, you know, they get at least three guys into double figures every game. And then it was just a kind of, it was the the drip drip effect for Illunion throughout this game. It felt like I don't think you could have dropped into this at any given point and been like, man, Illunion are smoking them. They just seemed to kind of win every set of ten possessions by like two or three points. Yeah, and they got to the basket an absolute ton as well. Like, um, if my memory serves me, and I was about to say if my memory serves me, and then I went to the shot chart and was like, ah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, they just don't have the size to deal with, especially Elonian uh, kind of settling on playing a lot of minutes with the Hasso, Bill, Tom, Greg, Sticks lineup as well, and then they kind of rotated and out of that. Um, but uh, that that lineup must be plus a million at this point for the season. Yeah, um, which is interesting because I don't know, like they took a while to settle on it, but won a couple of big games with it, and they've kind of stuck with it. So. Interesting to see how that works going forward. I think that's been... I don't know if that's their highest ceiling lineup, but I think that has been their best lineup consistently up to this point. Yeah, I think it's their best lineup at stopping people, for sure. Um, But yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see it going forward. I'd love to see that lineup against Albacete. I don't remember how much it played last time. I'm sure those two will meet up again, at least at some point this season. Yes, I would imagine so. Um, right. Shall we shift on and check out this game where things got drastically out of hand? Uh, yeah, we can do, apart from the fact that we've amped just long enough for me to confirm that that lineup has been plus 81 for the season, which okay. is their best lineup. That was um, worth for. 
yeah, you're welcome. Their second best lineup is the one that I thought would be their best lineup. So that's fine. All right, talking about games that got out of hand, as you said. Yeah. and four, 68, ladies and gentlemen, the third digit. We've done it. <laughs> the, done I it can't think how many teams have broken out the third digit this season, but I would have certainly said Viadolid have been low down on the possibility of that happening. <laughs> Apparently nobody told them that, and specifically nobody told Yelma, who had 32, and would have probably been a belt contender had this game been against anyone other than Feral. Yeah, but, uh, Yelmer having a belt, having a belt consideration the weekend of Landil Duringen. Oh man! <laughs> but yeah, also having how many points do you need to have against the one of the two worst teams in the league? Oh, for, it has to, it has against, to be like, have, like if you have fifty against Juventus, is it like all right, man? There you go. Yeah, I think fifty is the cutoff. Like you like, have, if you really want it to be like comical. Yeah, like I was talking to someone about. How many points you would? How many points you would need to score in a loss for the belt to be a consideration? And I brought up the fact that if Cano had forty-seven in a loss a couple of weeks ago, and it wasn't Champions Cup weekend, he'd probably have done it. But yeah, yeah we were just we that, were just too busy. But that was also a loss to a good team as well. So that is slightly they lost to Mercia that game where he had forty-seven. So I think yeah. that's slightly different to beating Pearl, who also like. Not here to rain on Vidalis parade by any stretch of the imagination, but it's slightly alarming they allowed Feral to have sixty-eight points in this game. It's like it's that's... pace, man. It's just pace. This they took seventy-two shots. Yeah, fair. But... I know Feral only took fifty-six, which is like absolutely less than yeah. <laughs> all the time. Never mind. Uh, yeah, this was this was just back and forward, whatever. Yeah. Um, we we'll just hit the um the numbers on this because I don't think there's any great purpose in breaking down the defensive versus offensive X's and O's when uh, it's, I'd it's, I'd have had to watch it for that to be the case. Um, teams of differentiating talent to this extent, but thirty two for Yelmer, twenty three for Fabian Roma, fourteen for Adrian Perez, and then uh Andrew I can never remember this guy's name, Andrew Wesley. Um he had 11. He's not. So that's just like a little bonus appearance against a weaker team. Maxi Ruggieri off the bench again. That was weird when they did it last week, but weaker team, whatever. He had seven and they got four and three from Lachlan Dalton and uh, CJ Grogan. The Aussies just doing what they had to do. It feels like they took this one easy. Um, on the Pharrell side, they get 24 from. I don't even know if this guy's been playing for them, but Anderson Silva comes up as his name. Um, sure. Similar to the former UFC fighter. Uh, Carol. Yes, I wonder if it's the same guy. That guy's knees have blown up to the point he could probably play wheelchair basketball. <laughs> I doubt he's a 2-5, though. Um, uh, Carol Schultz. Then, and then off the bench, 10 for Pedro Path. And what have we got? Miguel Romero with 9 and then we got nine from Lorenzo Ambo as well. And yeah, enough from Farrell that, you know, that's a decent enough scoring performance that it this one is obviously still a laugher as any game where one team hits triple digits is. But, you know, this was, you look at this and you think this could have been a hell of a lot worse, man. Farrell have been prone to offensive games in the 40s and 50s, and this could very easily have been a double up kind of situation. But they at least put enough points on the board that, it's not as bad as it could have been. That's about the nicest thing I can say. 
yeah, let's let's move on from this game and let's move over to Germany. Uh where another game we're not gonna talk about a lot. Uh Ryan Verano's eighty two. Uh Hot Rolling Bears, hilarious Essen. Um what a hilarious name. I still love it so much. Hot Rolling Bears. Twenty nine. Yeah. And, and this is a game where we saw an actual thirty two zero quarter. Yeah. Wiesbaden scored more points in the third quarter than Essen scored in the game total. That's true. So they actually kind of stuck around ish in the first in the first half, and I think it was just like sleepwalking type stuff. It was showing up to a home game against the team at the bottom of the league and chilling, and then at halftime being like, "Right, come on, this is making us look bad." Yeah, and yeah, they yeah. Took it away. This one, my favorite part of the third quarter, which was the thirty-two nil stretch where. Um, Rhinos went with Kamali, Toprak, uh, High Seven, and then Jim Palmer and uh, Nico Damiano. And they pressed with their two ones like up and blitzing. And between like live ball turnovers for Essen, dead ball turnovers, and like a couple of possessions stopped because like pressing inevitably leads to a couple of chair fouls by the defensive team. Essen mm-hmm. didn't get a shot attempt up for the first three and a half minutes of the third quarter. <laughs> and I think I counted as I, as it went through. I'm not entirely sure I got them all, but they were something like zero of six or zero of seven from the quarter, and um, at least three of them were just like shot clock declining, like off the shoulder mm-hmm. javelin types. There was about two or three like clean, crisp shot attempts, and two of them actually nearly went down, like rattled around to the point, like the ball and the basket knew that this ridiculous run was going on, but. Yeah, this was just, like you say, this was Rhinos taking it easy, haven't had a couple of good wins, and yeah, they then just showed up, and Lord have mercy on anyone who is on the opposing team when Moji Kamali decides it's time for the pressing unit, because <laughs> that guy just, I imagine it feels like being circled by a shark at all times. It's just terrifying. Him flying um, around is like, Last year, flashbacks when Hamburg's offense at times devolved into like, okay, Moji, let's go. Yeah. Do whatever you feel like. I don't know if that was actually what was spoken about, but that seems to be what he did because he was just able to get wherever he wanted. But yeah. Yeah. So Not much resistance to that today. I mean, on Saturday. So, today. Today's Monday. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Rhinos with five guys in double figures and Essen with no guys in double figures. Do with that what you will. Sure. All right. And what I will do with that is move on. Uh, Cologne <laughs> 59, Hamburg 53. Um, how much of this did you catch? Yeah, I was I was on and off with this. This kind of... It was closer than I think Cologne would have liked and each the, the widest gap in any given quarter was four points, which is pretty alarming given the, you know, on paper talent that Cologne have been kind of less than some of their parts all season and Kaimolo went for 25. So, uh-huh. um, yeah, this was just kind of a grind it out more than anything else. I don't think either of these teams is, is pulling anything new out of their playbook at this point in the season. And, yeah, this is just kind of a war, war of attrition thing. Um, Hamburg got 11 from Mamadou Traore and 10 from Mariko Miller to go with 25 from Kai. But Cologne's 
relative size advantage in terms of giants was the difference here, I thought, between Baluk Kodal and Thomas Raya, who had 17 and 9. They also got 16 in 30 minutes from Keokita because when he plays, they're a lot better. Um, Baluk Kodal yeah. as well with 17 points, 16 rebounds, and 10 assists, which must be his most diverse stat line because they normally don't ever pass him the ball unless he's within like a fingertip of the basket. Yeah. But yeah, I just thought Cologne were with eight from Asael Shabo off the bench as well, which is kind of, I think, gave them that little bit of outside shooting that they don't really have with their starters when Mustafa's not playing. Um, that was kind of the difference. But other than that, these teams kind of are who they are. Although Cologne sneakily have worked their way up to sixth in the German league standings, which I didn't have a finger on until I saw the standings earlier today. Oh, I did not know that. That's a weird one. Um, they haven't had Korkmaz for a couple of games, and I don't yeah. know what the deal is there. I hope everything's all right, obviously. But yeah, I don't it's know. Interesting to watch. Like we've been happy that certain guys are playing more, but it, they've only like made these changes based on other people not being there, obviously. So it's a bit of a weird one. Like you don't want to be like, oh, this is great that this guy's here, but it's at the expense of other people. So I hope I don't know what's going on there. But um, yeah, we're Kaikita fans here, so I think. Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah. yeah. I think what what Cologne need to take from like this late season couple of games where Mustafa's not been around is I think they need to look at their team again for next year and try and figure out a mids lineup where those guys can play together. Um, yeah. Mustafa in and Kay out, who's probably their most, like those guys might be their most consistent source of offense, but I think if they could look at doing something like K, Mustafa, Shabo, and then like two twos or something like that. Um, cool. Yeah, you should get your CV over to Cologne, man. It'd be good. Um, they know where I am. It's fine. Um, here <laughs> all the time. But, one, two. Uh, yes, I'm only one, two. You could just start a four and a zero. Um, <laughs> that'd be fun. But yeah, I think just it kind of changes what they're doing in terms of it kind of diversifies their offense slightly. And it's not just all coming from one source and yeah. not one source, just being high picking rules because I don't know. I just, any team that runs the same thing all the time, it either works or it doesn't. And then if it doesn't work, it's like, all right, what's step two? And is it run this again? Um, rather than can, like, okay. I just ask at this point, is this you setting yourself up for possibly our best ever transition of speaking of teams that run one thing all the time? Or have you, got, have you got a point to make it? Either uh, is. I was kind of coming to the end of my point and massively lost some team. So speaking, <laughs> of team, speaking of teams that you can finish it off for me, it's fine. You've completely okay, stumped speak- me. There. You've just absolutely stepped on my toes. There. <laughs> I completely, I'm completely dead. Like I have no idea where that was going. Now. Sorry, I, I was, I was so excited for you to then be like, and speaking of teams that run one thing all the time and speaking of Dirk Basawan having 41 points 11 rebounds and 12 assists (laughs) uh we got that uh Trio Dolphins 84 and G Skywheelers 54 yeah so So, as said Dirk Basawan has 41 11 12 does whatever he wants and did whatever he wanted yeah, that was, that was essentially it for this game. And I will formally apologize for stepping on it. I was just, that was going to be such a good transition. <laughs> Didn't want it to go to waste. No, like, you you know, I don't have all the links open at all times. Like, I was actually making, I think my point was just like, I don't know, the higher ceiling 
teams all have several different ways to score at all times and Cologne look a bit more like they do currently but it's really hard to like just run thing one thing all the time and just generate 80 points from it but that is what Trier did yep, essentially there uh, you go. Um, yeah, we're back go. in the game tied it all together um, yeah this was I mean Pastavan we you know we lord all this stuff all the time he was 19 from 27, so that's 70% to get to his, his 41 points. And then you figure that his two-point shooting, he actually hurt his percentages by going three of eight from three, because other than that, he was 16 of 19 on twos. and Which is hilarious. Yeah, that's comical. I think 84 must be Trier's high for the season, um, bearing in mind that we're nearly at the end of the German league. There's only one weekend of domestic league games left. Yes. Um, but yeah, this was obviously a, when Pasvan has 41, which is one point off being half his team's total score. You know, he doesn't get those numbers against good teams typically. And he gets those numbers against teams that have no shot at keeping up offensively. And that's kind of what happened to him. And there is no way in hell that anything Skywheelers could have done could have matched or put them in a position to match the efficiency he was shooting with. It just. You know, it's a one-way one-way traffic at that point. Yeah, but yeah, there's just no real resistance for him. And it's like, I don't know, when was the last time he had 40 and most of it was like getting to the hoop? Yeah. I don't um, know, that's a, that's a weird one. If I went Dirk Pass 1 had 40, tell me how many twos. He, tell me, and I, I give you, he had 41, and I go, okay, charge circle, free throw line, three-point line. I don't think you would have gone, all right, all but three of those shots. We're inside the three-point line. Yeah. I mean, makes. Yeah, and he, he had 41 with no free-throw attempts as well, we should point out. Um, so so Skywheelers, they could have tried fouling him. They obviously didn't try that. Uh, I, don't, I don't think it's that he's a bad free-throw shooter. I think he just happened to make shots before people got to him. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this one was, is essentially over at that point. Um, Skywheelers got 17 from Nico Dreimler, 12 from Fabian Gale. And a couple of single digits chucked in, but not enough there to get them up to 84. Um, Trier also getting 18 from Patrick Donna and 11 from Corey Rossi as their kind of second and third guys. And yeah, yeah. Trier just beat weaker teams reliably. Um, and it's no surprise that this kind of stuff happens. I like we didn't even, <laughs> I think it, it kind of is telling the whole thing that I didn't even like text you about, like look at what Dirk Passavan's done, because I feel like we'll show up and almost be like unimpressed by it when we hit record. I think it's just because I would have replied, save it for the pod, because <laughs> uh, we don't talk if it's not being recorded. That's true. Um, Should we check them? Yes, all right. Hanover 78, Munsterland 57, and yeah, uh, Munsterland won the first quarter. And for, yeah. me, for me, it was a bit of a case of, I don't know, Hanover came out with their four big... And Vanessa Erskine lineup, which is, I don't know, it was a weird one because I kind of think trying to match up completely against a team that only ever goes massive yeah, can sometimes be a bit of a mistake. There's a bit of a like being in the Dark Knight Rises, like I was born in the four bigs and a female <laughs> one. I was raised by it. You didn't see it until you were a man. There was a bit of that like. I don't know, your, your advantage against your advantage against a team like that might be that you can still go probably big enough to contain them 
and also have mobility because you've got so many biggish mids like they have that um they have that five biggish lineup that they went to a lot and i don't know because you can get jan haller as an absolute giant too with the longest arms in the world on the floor and kind of run from there and that kind of i don't know i feel like that hires your ceiling in terms of the stuff that Munsterland don't have and aren't able to deal with. And it also kind of means you can match up with their height to a certain extent. Obviously doesn't matter if you don't have someone as big as Matthias Bellers, for example, under the basket, like it doesn't really matter how kind of big you are, but being able to deal with it and sort of contest mismatches while also being able to go mid midpoint lineup enough that you can be mobile and get out in transition and, Stuff. I don't know. I just felt like it was a weird thing to try and completely match up against the team when you have options that are like yeah, there, but also have different bits. Yeah, I think ultimately it's a this wouldn't have happened this time last year. Um, and I think ultimately it's a sign of respect for the progress Munsterland have made and the fact that they do run out a lineup that asks some questions of even the good teams in Germany. Yeah. But I think, like, obviously, you talked about going to the kind of big mids lineup, and Jan Haller in 32 minutes was plus 27. So, 17 points on eight from 13. Yeah. Um, so, it, that's kind of the, that's all you need to know in terms of Hanover kind of started big trying to match up. And then I think when it didn't go their way in the first quarter, they were like, okay, matching up hasn't, you know, we've played into their hands a little bit, maybe. Um, and they ultimately just defaulted back to what they know that they're good at, and that turned out to be the right move for them. So 17 for Jan Haller, 19 for Jan Sadler, 17 with a triple-double for Sean. A lot of triple-doubles this week. Um, Triple-double with six deals for Sean Norris, we should point out. Um, And, yeah, 12 for Alex Budda, who very quietly all season seems to have double figures in literally every single game. He might be like the least heralded consistent double figure, so especially against a team as big as Munsterland. Yeah. Um, Munsterland got 27 from Matthias Bellas, who in the non-Tom McHugh minutes for Hanover, Bellas was very, very obviously the biggest guy on the floor uh, with no real contesting of him. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Hanover's game plan was essentially similar to what I can't remember who Munsterland played last week, Cologne maybe, who decided they were content to sit in and let Munsterland shoot the ball from outside. And we got an inefficient game really from Zoran Muller and the two Lamarine brothers who've provided the bulk of the outside shooting. So mm-hmm. Bella's got his, but kind of not in a way that enabled the other guys particularly. And I thought that was kind of the difference for Hanover in this one. They were able to spread their scoring much better than Munsterland were. Yeah, fair enough. I agree. <laughs> right. Is that all for this week? Yeah, it's fun how some games that we speak about, we're like, let's go on a conversation back and forth. And sometimes it's like, okay, you have a monologue and then I have a monologue. <laughs> um, Sure. All right. I feel like there's one more game that we need to talk about. Is there... There might well be. Uh, no, nothing springs to mind. All right. Uh, Duringia Bulls, 78. Landil, 58. Have you heard of it? I have. Um, I've also watched it twice. twice. But, so you haven't just listened to it on the radio? 
No. Um, That's something that never made sense to me. <laughs> no, I don't get it. Um, yeah, this was... We obviously saw these guys match up just pre-Christmas, and we had Yannick on for the episode after that. Mm-hmm. This was very, very far removed from that game. Uh, is kind of the initial starting point. And... Yeah, I having watched this twice and spent big chunks of time thinking about the game in between, I feel like I still can't fully wrap my head around what was going on. Um, yeah, so mid-third quarter, so it was 35-34 at halftime, and then there was a 24-13 third quarter for Thuringen, and then there was a bit of garbage time in the fourth quarter, but that was 19-11. Like, what, what's the turning point for you? What do you think? Um, like what, what, what did that run depend on in your mind? I think I think the run the run to get it to twenty points was kind of in within two spurts. Um I think Halus we should start by saying Haluski opened the game for Thuringen, but I think I actually joined the game when it was nine nine or eleven eleven or something like that. I was a few minutes late to getting to the uh live stream. And by then Landil were picking Haluski up full court, and I was kind of like, what's going on here? Like, they've never done this. Um, and then I came back to watching it second time around, and I saw he hit threes to make Thuringen's first three baskets. I was like, okay, that explains that. Yeah, the um, whole game was four from five threes at one point, and I was like, this is unbelievable. This game. I think there was a point that it was like 15, 15, five minutes in, and I was like, there's no way this game goes to like 100 points. This is... Um, but yeah, I thought third quarter they were able to I thought they were really able to leverage the attention that was being paid to Haluski and particularly Vahid had a run of kind of six or eight points in there. Um and then it was kind of a thirteen, fifteen ish points for a while, and Landil made a change early fourth to bring their pressing lineup in. And I actually think that kind of kept the game where it was, but I watched that back the second time and I actually think Thuringen were a couple of bad press break possessions and I don't mean bad in terms of like eight second violations, but as in getting all the way through and then like maybe missing a layup or like make shooting a shot too early because they were out of the press. So they they made they didn't fully capitalize, but I think had they done that in the early fourth quarter, this could have been even more out of hand than it was. Ultimately, Thuringen scored the last nine points of the game, but I think that's maybe a little bit of fool's gold because yeah. Landil were kind of chucking threes at that point. Um, yeah, as I say, I think the last three or four minutes was garbage time. Like, I think it was just... Yeah, I think that, but I also think this could have had Thuringen executed out of the press a little bit better. I think this could have got to 20 a lot sooner than it did. Um, yeah, for sure. My ultimate takeaway from this is I think... Landil shot really badly outside of their two biggest guys. Um, so Rio and Gutno were combined 16 from 32, and the rest of the team was 7 of 35, which is rough. Um, so you could say this is la- the floor of Landil's capabilities offensively, at least, and you could make yourself feel slightly better about that, but I yeah. also think... This was not even really peak Thuringen, and that should probably worry you if you're Landau. Um Yeah, I think if you go, like, if you look at the third quarter, 
Thuringen went nine from 16. Yeah. A lot of it was sort of either inside or inside a little kickback out. Um, a lot of it comes from, all right, Haluki comes out firing and you have to put a lot of heat on him and they were able to leverage the fact that I don't know, there's sometimes when they're not playing well that it kind of looks like that they're giant, but it doesn't feel that way. But no, like you felt every bit of that today, like the heat getting inside for important ones. And Haluski, obviously he did a lot of his damage from the perimeter, but still like having that sort of like when they're at their best, you have to defend the basket and the three-point line at all times. Like that's a lot for even a really, really good defensive team um to deal with but i think if you're having a bad run like fourth i mean third quarter landale were five from 18 if i counted correctly yeah. or remember correctly and then you've got during a nine from 16 plus six free throws probably yeah um, if i'm correct um they made all their free throws as well i think they were like what were they 13 from 14 yeah. or something yeah. ridiculous which is yeah, no. which it I mean, landale were nine of 13 so the free throw discrepancy isn't huge um yeah and even I like thought, nine from thirteen, most games that'll do you. But like, yeah, sure. um, I thought Lyndon was the difference in the game, to be honest. And he, I mean, we talked about it with Yannick. He had Lyndon had fifteen against them last time, and nearly turned the game round and took it home for Thuringen. And mm-hmm. he certainly did so. So he seemed to do. He hit a couple of layups off dump downs, and then like one play where he got Katarina Weiss pushed back in transition with him, and he just posted her up and made that. He hit one from the wing, and he also. I've never seen this part of his game, or at least not for a long time, but when Landil put the press on, he just decided he was like a one-man press break, regardless of whether it was like Tommy or Simon Brown or whoever was picking it up. He was like, yeah, I'm just going to dribble through this. And I, He should just pretend he plays Landil every game, because he seems to have his best games against, by a long way, the strongest opposition. Um, he yeah, screws up when it matters. Um, sorry, one question I had. To see what you think about this, like why, like what are Thuringen actually doing to limit Landale in that third quarter? Do you think, or do you just think a team with a load of mid-range shots have some sort of variance? I think Tommy didn't have a good shooting game, Um, and I thought they, I thought Landale in the first quarter found the best balance of their offense they had at any point in the game, which was Gaz kind of facilitating and then what they're essentially looking for on their possessions was either Gunter inside or Rio spotted up weak side was the majority of their offensive output in the first quarter. They seem to go away from that. And particularly the more Thuringen went to their lineup of one big and the kind of four mids counting Carlos Podniex as a mid because he's, He's massive. He's not a one. He's just not a one five. Um, just jacked, man. He's allowed to be jacked. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the more the more that um, Thuringen went to that, Landil seemed to feel the pressure to match up. And it felt like from that point onwards, Rio did most of his damage in the first half. Guntner was pretty consistent throughout the game, but it just felt like they were always kind of running their offense to force feed inside is what I thought. I mean, Gunter got inside and finished relatively well, but it felt like Landil was so determined to play through their bigs more so than they typically are. And I, I don't know why they thought this was the game to do that. Um, so that's interesting. I, Cause I kind of thought that was Thuringen by design. Like I, 
Yeah, I, maybe. Generally, I generally think against most teams on random Saturday X, they kind of go super hard perimeter defense, and they're super they're super physical as well all the time. I think they're the they're the most physical of the like top level of teams in Europe, and I don't know. Different whistle puts them in difficulties in some days, but um, there were like there are times where they're so physical on the perimeter, which kind of sends you inside naturally. And yeah. sometimes teams are able to, especially a team that can shoot the ball like Landil most of the time, they're kind of able to come off that and create more mid-range and perimeter opportunities. But I think, I actually thought Durgan were kind of funneling them inside pretty well. There were a lot of times where it was like pick and roll, advantage created, bang, um, post up against... Um, Haluski or Vahid, or there were times where they'd go in their um in their in their lineups with Rio and um Katarina Weiss on the floor, where there was like a couple of times where he was left two on one, he got inside but the ball couldn't, or the ball went inside and had to go back outside for a shot that Durgan were more happy to give up. I just thought they were able to leverage their physicality and their size as well as I've seen them do since I don't know, some of the good games last year. Yeah, I they don't really get a chance to test themselves a whole lot, so it's not like they haven't done it. It's just seeing them do it against really good teams. It's yeah. like they haven't played Champions Cup this year yet because they're hosting. But and, um, full disclaimer: pre this game, I called Thuringen by six. You called Landil by six. So um, yeah. it's not not often I get to be right while being out by fourteen points. But um, yeah, yeah, I mean. I was thinking about this more big picture and I don't know if I'm there yet because Landil, we obviously talked about this with Tommy last February kind of time when Thuringen had blown them out at that point. But if you're Landil, I think there is reason for not panic, but there is reason for concern if you look at some of their more recent games. Um they obviously lost to the most high profile one outside of this one being they lost to Lunion and only scored 54. Uh, they lost to Wiesbaden recently in, you know, a freakish offensive display. So maybe take that one with a pinch yeah, of salt. One of them was like 86, 73. Yeah. Um, but that, you know, you also, this game happens and you think back to like the fact that they, you know, they beat Hanover first time out, but they were down like 15-1 and had to, you know, turn to the three big lineup that they are now very reliant on to figure out winning that game. And I don't know, there's not a massive body of evidence outside of their win against the Ringen, which was by four points. Um, and I guess you can pile in their win on Santa Stefano um, at EuroCup, but they've not got a massive body of evidence of convincing wins against good teams yet. And that's possibly reason for concern, given that they're going to have to face Albacete this weekend in the Champions Cup uh, semi-finals. But yeah, I think if you're Landil, I mean, we've kind of done this thing all season where we've like talked around, you know, the top four being the top two from Spain and the top two from Germany. There is a a scenario in which Landil come away from this weekend having lost to, you know, the other anointed top four teams in at least two of those coming by double digits and, you know, potentially three if that game were to get out of hand. But obviously we can't really speculate on that because we've not seen the matchup. But oh, there's a world in, yeah, and there's a world in which they beat Albacete and we're yeah. like, ah, are they fine? We thought Albacete were the best team in Europe. Yeah, um, I, I'm far from burying them as well because they looked 
dead this time last year when they got blown out by Thuringen, then they lost them again in Champions Cup, and then they beat them twice to win the German playoffs. So yeah, this, I think they're I think they're probably if you ask them, I don't know. Obviously, I'd say they're probably like, yeah, we're all right. Like they, this time last year, as you say, they were probably like, oh, cool. We've yeah. we'll we'll just get to the playoffs in a lower seed and then figure it out. Yeah, yeah. A, a lot of a lot of these guys have been in that exact spot last year and are probably happy enough to go and figure it out. Obviously disappointed about this, I would say. But what yeah, does, what does this do for you when you think about playing Thuringen this coming weekend? Oh God, um, <laughs> um, I might be handing out water bottles. I don't know. Um, we'll talk about it next week. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, uh, and I think that that's more of an interesting thing. I'm very excited about the fact that this weekend all the teams will have played in European competition. And obviously, like, the only one of the top four that won't have crossed over is like Alba City won't have played um, Thuringen yet. But yeah, it'll be yeah. good to have a bit more information on... Because I think that is the thing, like, Landil in an average, like, at this point of the season have played... um three or four good teams and have a decent record against them and it's the same for um Elonian, it's the same for Albacete and it's the same for Thuringen so it'll be interesting to have more sort of information to go on and see how these teams all want to match up against each other so we can yeah. try and have, well so that we can have something to talk about pointlessly <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. yeah um Assuming they get the stats right anyway, and they've not rigged the whole of Euro Cup to mess with us, ah, we'll we'll watch it at this point. It's fine. Um, um, yeah, I think this was this is to say this was a twenty point difference. This is probably by a long way the most I've sat and thought about what was going on in a game that I was that I had watched. I think this has taken up a lot of my my free brain processing space over the last couple of days. Uh, I yeah, think- it's weird because I've been like, right, what am I like? Well, I, I knew we were going to talk about this a lot, and I was just kind of watching it, being like, eh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think I. Well, to be fair, probably everyone who listens knows I'm a bit of a sucker for Thuringen because I think their style of play draws me in probably more than the other top four teams. Uh, well, I don't know what it is about them. I just I'm very um very intrigued by them at all times, and uh, this was kind of endlessly fascinating to me but i think i mean we'd spoken about it off the podcast before but we do speak off the podcast only about what we will talk about on the podcast but and when we're going to record yeah i think um you said that out of the like our proposed top four you think the ring are potentially the most vulnerable or words to that effect um and yeah uh, the, this maybe. obviously changes the calculus i think i think or does it i guess we'll find out but any yeah. four of the I asked you the question the other day of like, is there any of the top four teams that you couldn't see winning Champions Cup? And we both agreed that the answer was no. Like, yeah, Nil, Duringen, Albacete, or Alunion could just go and win Champions Cup. I'm not, yeah, I'm, I'm that's probably where the line is drawn, but like, that's unless Bilbao crashes the party for the final four. That'd be fun. <laughs> I would enjoy that. Um, Right, do we want to do the belt before we get out of here? Uh, yes, is it Alexander Haluski? I I think Haluski is like the obvious one. I personally am going Joe Kim Linden because I think like Haluski had 27 points, 8 rebounds, 8 assists and 
was obviously the table setter of the Thuringen offense, but something about Lyndon just stepping it up at the moments he does really appeals to me. And I don't know, maybe it's because I joined the game late and I missed Haluski's threes to start off, but I don't know, something about something about Lyndon just showing up in these moments makes me feel like this is what the belt is for, but also I could not deny Haluski the belt, depending on how hard you want to push for him. I just think 27-8-8 coming out three from three from the three-point line, um, shooting 58% overall, um, going 7-11 from two, three from six from three. I just think like having that start of a game and having to like stretch, having a team have to stretch so much to defend both the three point line and the basket and kind of what that does for everyone else, I think. Okay. Kind of set, coming out and setting the tone in a game like that, like that, I think. Answer me this. What's sorry? Answer me this then to decide had Haluski not had the start to the game he had, how would that have impacted Lyndon's fifteen points? Uh I don't know how many layups did he get based on them jumping threes. Probably three or four. <laughs> ah, okay. Yeah, I um, think we'll go Haluski. Uh, I, I will bow. Let's not be too hipster about this. I will bow to conventional stat keeping, although I don't, uh, full disclosure, I don't fully believe it in my soul. Not I don't believe the stats. Like, I think the stats are accurate, but I think the spirit of the belt should be like a co-holder Haluski linden two-man game situation if you want to do that i don't mind um let's not get to it let's not start giving it to two people let's not (laughs) um god right shall we wrap up we'll um i guess we've alluded to it so far at this point but obviously it is euro cup weekend there is going to be a ton of games on including the two um four team groups to get through the champions cup final four uh, James, you're going to be in East Germany. I'm going to be holding down the fort and watching many games at once and probably trying to keep our sub stack up to date. And if any of the teams don't share their live stream links, I am going to be livid. But shout out to Sitting Bulls for eventually coming through. Yeah, yeah. Um, Mark will be in Event Units Dungeon Headquarters, <laughs> his house, probably. I don't know. I don't know what you do. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know your life. Um, but yeah, so we'll figure that out. And then Mark is coming to Mark. Well, not just Mark, Mark and his family are coming to visit us shortly after. So that'll be fun. going to get a five person podcast put together. Five person podcast. I don't know if your daughter's speaking yet. Yeah, sure. She makes a lot of noise now. So it would probably be just like the four of us sat around chatting and her interjecting with loud squawks. I would love her first words to either be bench units or pace or shot quality. <laughs> Just Dirk. something annoying. Dirk Passavan. Yeah. <laughs> first words, the belt. <laughs> God. Right. right. Should we get out of here? Yes, we should. Uh, tune in on Thursday. Abdi's coming. Abdi's already been on the podcast, but he'll, you'll, you'll hear him on Thursday. You will. Accent translators at the ready, everybody. That's not a thing. All right. Uh, I'm scrambling to find the stop record button. Thanks for listening and see you soon. Have a good week.